1: To set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. And it is a happy day to get out there and vote. Those of you in Boston, in Buffalo, in New York City, in mayoral races, in Missouri, Georgia. And Virginia. Got a lot going on there. Uh, but right now we have a lot going on here. We're going to be joined by Tom Conway. Tom Conway is president of the United Steelworkers, the USW. They're North America's largest industrial union. They're 1.2 million members and retirees strong in our nation, Canada and the Caribbean. They proudly represent men and women who work in nearly every industry that there is. Now, President Conway is the union's most experienced contract negotiator. We should have him step in with Joe Manchin and the progressives and Nancy Pelosi and the rest of Washington. Uh, He is the union's most experienced contract negotiator in steel, aluminum, oil, and other major industries where USW members work, often directing the bargaining during these crises. Go to the website and check out more about USW in every industry they're a part of. USW.org, and please follow them on both Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. Uh, President Conway, so good to have you back on this Tuesday uh, election day for some in some states. Thank you for joining us. And one of the things uh, that um, one of the things that people um, you know are going to talk about uh, with their votes, or have been talking about with their votes, are grievances about certain situations. And one of those grievances is um, the, the the supply chain, right? You know, people are angry if they go to the store, it's not on the shelves, or if they order, it's yeah. going to take a long time uh, to get to their home. They're worried about Christmas. Um, so let's talk about. I always say to my kids, "That's the problem. What's the solution?" Right? We know yeah. the problem. There is a supply. There are woes within the supply chain. What is the solution? And my understanding is that you. And the USW and U.S. president of the USW say, well, we've got a solution and, and it's called uh, domestic manufacturing. Right. I mean, if we didn't have yeah. if we didn't buy things made in China, we wouldn't be waiting for them to come in on ships through ports and get onto those trucks.
0: Look, this isn't a problem that just cropped up. I mean, the pandemic has made it worse. And so, you know, people sort of forget that for nearly a year, everybody kind of shut down, manufacturing shut down and shut down around the globe. And so there's a catch-up and there's a bit of a pent-up demand, and so it's slowing things down. But when you look underneath that, and and that's a temporary situation, those, those ships will get unloaded. Part of the problem is those ships are loaded with materials and goods that used to be made here. And so now they're all coming from Asia. They're coming from different parts of the world, and the U.S. no longer makes them. And we're wondering, well, where's our semiconductors? Where's our chips? Where are all the other goods that we're waiting? What will happen in the holidays? And a lot of hand-wringing going on about, you know, how are we going to get ports open and keep them open all night and, and find enough transportation and trucking to move this material into the country when really we ought to be having a long-term discussion about why do we let so much of this slip away and what are we going to do about it? And is this we're just going to fix a, a short term problem and and get this stuff loaded in the trucks? Or Are we really going to take a look at what's on those ships and why why aren't we making it here? And why why when this pandemic broke out, were we so dependent and and still to a degree dependent on um, goods like masks and ventilators, and and are we going to leave ourselves you know, as we go into this, and, and hopefully this week, soon we'll pass these infrastructure bills, both the, both the hard one and the soft one, the one on bridges and roads, and then the one on um, human needs. And they're, they're both equally essential, but are we going to have the pipe that we need to, to put clean water systems in the cities like Flint and, and other cities throughout the country? as we go into a housing boom that this calls for um, are we going to have the materials are we going to have the tires to transport the trucking and the materials for all the housing starts um, you know are we going to have the, the steel for our military and the aluminum for our military and the work that that we need for aluminum to re-energize the country and put in uh, an upgraded electrical grid And all those things are coming in on these ships and they're jobs that ought to be here. These are good jobs. Manufacturing jobs pay well. They build communities, they help, they help them thrive. And, um, we just, we just have a short term view of this. And for, you know, now a couple of decades, we bought into this idea that, you know, as long as we can get it cheap, offshore, we don't need it, but I mean, it's really, it's work that belongs here. It's work that p- provides, you know, good opportunities for people to make a good living at. And, um, and so we fret over our shortages, but really our focus needs to be on making it here and making the stuff we need to run the country here.
1: No, ab- absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right, President Conway. I mean, the pandemic just shined a light on uh, what, uh, you know, our supply chain issues. This has been long neglected. And, and like you say, it's not um, necessarily the supply chain. It, it, you know, it's actually, well, well, you know, what is the problem at the very beginning of the chain? And we, the consumers, uh, you know, play a part in this, um, but also failure of our industrial policy plays a part in this. Would you say, that the failure of our industrial policy has le- left us vulnerable um, because we have ceded so much of the manufacturing to other nations?
0: Look, we, we have no industrial policy. That's, that's part of our problem. We have no sense of how we're gonna link things up, how industries are gonna work with each other. And the countries we deal with around the world, they all have that in one form or another, but we have wide open borders, um, whatever you can, I mean, we, we have no policy about it. If you, you, you take a factory out of a community and you leave behind just sort of devastation, um, shuttered businesses, it ripples throughout the whole community, services can't be supplied. But that company and that factory then goes and builds that product overseas and brings it right back into that community and sells it there. And and why we allow that to happen without any thought and without anything that says, you oh, know, you're not gonna do that to us. You're not just gonna move offshore and chase the cheapest labor dollar you can find or the the easiest environmental conditions you can find and you know make your money on that margin and then bring it right back here and sell it to us who lost our jobs in that deal. So you know, you, that that thinking, I think, is beginning to turn. I think there are now economists who are saying, look, this this whole question of globalization, it really did harm people. It really did make a difference. Not everybody went to work selling computer information or in the so-called knowledge industry. And when you lose your manufacturing base, you you lose a lot. You you lose your R and D. You lose your skills. Um, you lose good payrolls and community where where people are able to raise their families and um, and a, a future for you know young people to go into. I mean, manufacturing is not the, the sort of dirty kind of hammer and shovel industry that people perceive it to be. It's it's highly computerized it's highly technical there are a lot of skills in there that are um that are essential for moving forward and people can make a good living you know getting those skills and mastering them and you know making a product and if, and taking it to a market you don't you know if you don't mine something and mill it and put some labor and capital against it and then take it to a market and sell it that's where you create value you don't create value with a bunch of algorithms moving money around and, and a handful, a small handful of people get very rich doing that while the rest of the jobs are, are leaving the country. So there is, there is a beginning of thought. We see that coming out of this administration. Um, there's a lot of domestic content required in these two bills. This, the infrastructure bill, and the other bill for housing, I mean, they they are a good start about recognizing that manufacturing is essential to this country, um, that it provides great opportunity for people. And so passing those two bills, is also sensible for this country. We're, we're going to
1: talk more about that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with President Tom Conway, President of the USW. Check out the website, usw.org, and follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Steelworkers, back right after this. We are back. on Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. And we are talking with President Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union. Check out their website, usw.org, and also check out Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow them, at Steelworkers. President Conway, thank you for holding, and welcome back. We are talking about supply chain woes, but the, the solution uh, to that problem and how did this problem come uh, to pass you said it's not just covid it's not just the pandemic we've had supply chain you know issues and 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 the issue starts at you know we ship jobs overseas and you know became you know reliant uh you know look what happened in the pandemic masks and things like that from china just terrible we need to make those here right um also i would imagine that you would agree that we've had decades of bad trade deals um you know that Way into this, right? Decades of bad trade deals that incentivize corporations to ship more and more of those operations overseas. Can you speak to that and how the proposed legislation can change that? Because there are tax incentives to stay here within this legislation and to to have uh, products made here, to you know, open your manufacturing plant here or keep it here and not move it uh, and keep the jobs here. And also, my understanding is, um, you know, that that you have to use American steel, American made steel in order to do that, rather than purchasing steel overseas from countries like China.
0: Yeah, look, to us, it just makes common sense that if taxpayers are going to make this investment in a nation, which, you know, it poorly needs at this stage of the game, that it ought to be American materials and jobs that are are used in spending of those tax dollars. So I think that all is inherent in the infrastructure bill. There's a lot of Buy American requirements in there. This administration has recently created an office within the White House, um, of the Office of Management and Budget, it's called the Made in America um, office. And it is focused on the government procurement. The government is the largest purchaser in the United States and it buys a lot of materials. And so it has increased its, its content, its domestic content requirements, and it has a schedule to continue increasing those. And I, and I think, you know, look, we were sold a deal at NAFTA that said, the country was gonna send a lot of work or or get a lot of work in Mexico. And we, we, we certainly flourished from that. And it's all proven wrong. And And now we've got decades of proof about why it didn't work, why, why NAFTA had to be revisited. And, and we got some improvements in this latest round. But, you know, then they opened up the doors to China and gave it sort of a most favored nation status. China then never lived up to the rules and its obligations under the WTO and continued to sort of cheat on the system and subsidized products and overbuilt and has overbuilt this tremendous capacity. And it's not just in metals or steels. They have a tremendous overcapacity in fiber optic cable. They have, you know, they develop five-year plans that are predatory and very aggressive. and. China is a big problem. They're not the only one in the world, but they are certainly um, gotten out of hand. And, and so this this crept up on us while we sort of sat there and watched it take place. And, and there's so many people in the country who sort of instinctively understand that. They've seen their communities, their family members, people who worked in good jobs in the communities and factories, that are lost and so when when we talk about this the numbers are like 87 88% of the country understands this problem and i think that's why there's you know broad support for the infrastructure bill the rebuilding that needs to take place the repiping of us um, even in even in the the climate related stuff um, it's important that 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 is continues to sort of get done. There's there's a lot of work that's going to come out of that, and whether it's in the electrical grid, whether it's in the electrification of the vehicle fleets, and so that potential growth and new technology is is crucial. We can't allow it to be done somewhere else. It, it, it's got it's got to happen here. So. That's sort of the fight we're in right now. You know, we've been, our union has been in the forefront of this since the beginning of it, since it started. And, you know, there's been over 300 trade cases where they've been proven to be dumping their materials or they subsidize their product and they come in and they compete. And, you know, a company can't compete against a government. And so when you're, Dealing with a government like China, who will put mass amount of money behind behind something and, and ship it in just to be able to do it here, it puts people out of business and we can't tolerate it. And there's no reason we should tolerate it. And you can't conduct foreign policy on the back of your jobs of your citizens or your trade policy. And, and the two need to be kept separate. And, and I think, This administration is finally getting
1: that. You know, I don't think people understand, and you know this better perhaps than anyone, uh, President Conway, when you move a plant overseas, you have decimated an entire community, right? I mean, Mm. you know, we just look at what happened with the, the steel mills, you know, Bethlehem Steel back in the day, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, thriving cities that are thriving again in different ways. Um, But, you know, sometimes not a big city, you know, uh, you know, a a small area, you know, town or a smaller city within a state, um, you know, uh, speak to us about that briefly about, you know, what it does. I mean, because we know what it does for corporations. It gives them profit. We know what it does for Americans. It gives us, um, you know, steel that isn't as strong and bridges that collapse. Uh, and, and, you know, but people lose their homes, they lose their jobs. And the, these are, they're skilled laborers in these specific trades. Where do they go? What do they you do? Know,
0: no, no, one, no one ever really recovers um, from something like that. And communities don't really fully ever recover. And, and when there is a recovery, and, you know, people will say Pittsburgh has sort of turned the corner. And so Pittsburgh, where it used to be a heavy manufacturing town. It now has some higher education. There's some high tech. There's some healthcare here. But those are very, those are different people than the folks who lost their jobs. And so it's almost a different generation. It's a different set of skills. No one was really prepared for it. And it took years and years and years for that to sort of get to the point where you can think of it as their new industry. In a town like Pittsburgh, but yep. the fact is, hundreds of thousands of people and families were left with no re- no resources and and no sort of way out of this. And and that stagnation went on for a long,
1: long time. And yeah, yet, de- yeah, de- dec- decades. decades, absolutely. Yeah, decades. President Conway, we're going to take a quick break. Country. I. I apologize for interrupting. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about that. And we'll also talk about solutions, more solutions, what can be done. USW's president, Tom Conway. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with him. Check out their website, usw.org, and on Twitter and Instagram, at Steelworkers. We're back how you doing happy tuesday it is election day in many places and uh, a lot of people are looking at what this administration can put forth with legislation a lot of legislation that will put a lot of money into various areas that affect individuals and one area would be uh, job creation manufacturing incentivizing corporations to keep jobs here open manufacturing Uh, plants here. And of course, you have to use steel uh, that is from here and also addressing, which is another job maker, uh, the transition uh, into uh, electric vehicles, which uh, the United States will inevitably be a part of. Uh, as a part of this global economy. Tom Conway is president of the United Steelworkers, the USW. They are North America's largest industrial union, 1.2 million members and retirees strong. Check out their website, usw.org. And also on Twitter and Instagram, follow them there, at Steelworkers. President Conway, thank you for holding and welcome back. I apologize, I had to jump in to interrupt. Did you want to finish up when when we talk about how communities are just destroyed, decimated, decimated? uh when you know these plants move overseas and i just want to say real quick my brother um and my my brother is a college graduate he has a degree in chemistry and he has worked in the semiconductor industry the majority of his adult life the majority of his working life and career and he he is in Rhode Island and they shipped his job overseas after promising you know it wouldn't um, and, and I say that because a uh, semiconductor is certainly are one area of this that have been greatly uh, negatively affected uh, with that sucking sound, right, going overseas. Um, and he, he fortunately got another job, not in semiconductor, but an, uh, another job. Um, uh, but, you know, this do, it hurts families. It hurts communities. And you were speaking, President Conway, to the fact that you don't bounce back. And if you do, it, it can take decades, as we've seen in places like Pittsburgh, Cleveland and Buffalo. Look, most people
0: who lose a job that was paying a, a living wage, they, they eventually find a job that pays about two-thirds of it. And so where they had benefits where they maybe had a pension, um, now they're lucky if they have a 401k and they're allowed to save their own money or they, it's just a devastating thing to a family. And so you know being able to educate your kids, being able to rely upon the house that you own, where your equity is, so much of that gets lost. So many communities are forced to, you know, foreclosures in, in communities. And, and look, we've lived through it. Every, every state has felt this and seen it happen because we've lost, you know, millions of factories and millions of factory jobs. And, you know, you can't, uh, this country can't lose 6 million jobs in that kind of a sector and not have it impact us. So there's a lot of rebuilding to do, and we're beginning to take a step. We're beginning to recognize it when we do these, when we pass these bills. So, you know, here's a bill that that, that has the potential for creating housing and there's going to be a a boom in low income housing that people need to afford because housing has become and rents have become so expensive but along with that housing are a lot of jobs it's going to put a lot of people to work it's going to put a lot of carpenters to work it's going to put a lot of plumbers to work people who make appliances all of that stuff needs to come from this country we can't just say okay you know we're going to build 300,000 homes, and we're going to go get the hot water heaters from China. I mean, it just is self-defeating. So that's the sort of strategy that you need when you're going to spend that sort of money and take that investment. And And I think when you, when you put the requirements in there and you make people have to do it, because if, if you just let them go at the cheapest price point, Unfortunately, this is where you find yourself. So you have to put something in place that says, no, we're going to use tax dollars on this, and we're going to use it to the benefit of our own nation. So there are solutions. This isn't rocket science. People say, well, you know, you're messing with the free hand of the market. That's nonsense. God didn't do this. A bunch of lawyers in Washington, D.C. did this. They created these laws. They did this, these trade deals, they allowed for this to happen because they planned for it to happen, and we just need to reverse it and and get the country back on the path that we need to be on. It's going to take a while, but it's not impossible to do. And the more jobs you create, the more revenue you create, the stronger your tax base, you begin to rebuild your systems and your schools and your libraries and your Fire and police systems, and
1: and that's what strengthens communities. Yeah, um, you, you know you were just speaking about reversing this trend. You read my mind. I was going to ask you about that. Um, and significantly uh, investing in our infrastructure, you know, is one way. And we have to include strong domestic uh, content provisions. Uh, can you speak a little bit more about this, about reversing uh, this trend, um, or you know, ma- you know, maybe some other things that you know we're not doing because. One of the things is, in, you know, in this legislation, if you are going to build something and you have to use American steel, not only is that creating jobs um, and that steel goes into our bridges, which keeps us safer and gets us out of that, what, like D or F infrastructure rating uh, on on bridges and, and you know, uh, bridges especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other things. I mean, the pipes that, you know, our water is delivered through. Um, those are steel. Uh, those are. Th- and, and I mean. Two things. One, speak more about reversing the trend, but two, we the American worker, the American workers, aren't we already in a position to meet the infrastructure needs of this country? In other words, we don't need to go outside of this country for most of this stuff, right?
0: No, look, we 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 are running a campaign within the Steelworkers Union. We're running it nationally called We Supply America. And we have each of our local unions go partner with their company counterpart and write a letter to the White House and to this office of management and budget that is that is guiding the Make It in America. And they describe for the White House the products they make and how they fit into infrastructure program and how they benefit their communities and the size of their payroll and the skills of their workforce and their ability to to deliver products to an infrastructure build. And we've had hundreds of those letters going in there, activating in that community, sort of a joint effort between the employer and the workforce and the union to, to make sure that this country understands, here's what we can do. Don't go buy it somewhere else. We can make it here. Or here's what we could do with a little bit of investment. And here's the sort of change that we can help bring about. So. This really is kind of a community effort within our union, and we, you know, been on a bus tour. We rented a bus. We went to communities that are that are um, have some manufacturing base in them, whether it's glass or aluminum or steel or other products, and um, and it's been very successful. And so uh, we've seen this we've seen this trend begin to take place with the strengthening of, of domestic content requirements. We'll see more of it in the infrastructure bills as they come forward, and that will strengthen and, and bring jobs. This infrastructure bill, it can it can get us 2 million jobs, real decent jobs where people can make a living at them, making the product that the country needs. You know, we, we haven't rebuilt this nation in decades. It, it's crumbling not just bridges that are falling down, but our waterways, our water systems. We have methane leakage that is a tremendous problem for the climate, and it's recognized, but we we leak methane gases all over the place. So we have have piping systems that need to be replaced. All that material the U.S. can make. And look, with a little bit, it didn't take these companies a long time you know, I hear companies say to me sometime, "Well, we'll need a couple years to get ready." Well, you didn't need a couple years to pack up and unbolt your True. equipment and move it to Asia. You got that done in about six months, so it's not going to take you that long to come back and get reestablished. And um, so, look, there's there are there's opportunities. People are looking for opportunities. People are sort of there's this what they call this great resignation going on where people are shifting out of work and want to find other jobs. And this is the way to do it, to provide that jobs and provide a good base of employment for this country going forward.
1: Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our final segment with President Conway president of the United Steelworkers Union. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. Also check out the website usw.org. You might be surprised what they do. They are involved in nearly every industry there is out there. Check it out. I'm Leslie Marshall back with President Conway and right after this. do We're back. How you doing? Happy Tuesday and happy Election Day in some places out there throughout our great nation. Uh, Tom Conway is president of the United Steelworkers. They're North America's largest industrial union, 1.2 million members and retirees strong here in the U.S. and Canada and the Caribbean. And uh, check out their website, USW.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. We're talking about solutions to the supply chain woes. One biggie, domestic manufacturing. Because we've had a decade of bad trade deals, we can reverse this trend with infrastructure investment, including strong domestic content provisions. And now let's talk about the legislation that's coming uh, out of this administration. Uh, President Conway, uh, President Biden is taking this seriously, it would seem. He's issued a number of executive orders to help foster growth in domestic manufacturing. Can you speak to some of those domestic um, those executive orders, excuse me, and can you also speak to uh, President Biden and his administration? We're seeing him get, you know, hit approval rating wise. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing him get, you know, a lot of hits and we're seeing a hard time getting this legislation through. Although, uh, I am a Democrat and I do think that they they will pull it off. Um, how seriously is President Biden taking this issue? And can you speak to some of those executive orders that, that he did sign to help foster growth in the domestic manufacturing sectors? Look,
0: I, I think Joe Biden gets this and more so than a, any politician that we've seen in a long time. And I think he's evolved over years. I mean, we weren't always thrilled with his position on NAFTA and some other things, But as time's gone on, he does realize that he's got to if he's going to rebuild the country, he's got to rebuild the middle class. And so his approach has been, here's a bunch of companies and very super rich people who've avoided taxes for a long time and got a tremendous tax break under the last administration worth two trillion dollars. And he wanted to try and reverse a little bit of it. And it's getting resistance. And so to me, it's very perplexing why the country struggles with that idea at all. But when you listen to this president speak, he's got this worker-centric recovery that's going on, as well as a worker-centric trade agenda and foreign policy. And the things that he's doing particularly when he talks about unions. And, and there's quite a bit of it that he, that he says, and he says it very openly, and so does every one of his cabinet and his administration. But it's not that Joe Biden is nostalgic about unions or likes unions in any particular way, or even feels obligated to unions for any help they may have given him during his election. Biden understands that if you're gonna rebuild this country, you have to give workers power with their employers at the bargaining table and put some balance back in that relationship. And that's how you're gonna get people a better paycheck, be able to get a raise, be able to hang on to some health care that's affordable. And so he believes that the power of collective bargaining works in this country and And he understands, too, that in order to give that the opportunity to work, you've got to provide work for those companies to do. And a way to do it is through these infrastructure plans for the government to invest in its own nation, build up its own companies, have workforces that can sit down and fairly and honestly talk through that with their employers and get good contracts and get the country back a place that makes sense and people have growth opportunities and a horizon out ahead of them where companies can feel comfortable and in, to invest because they know that the government is going to be spending to promote that or uh, in the years to come. So I, I think it's the, the smartest approach we've seen in a long, long time where it's actually thought out and carried out and implemented by every one of the, Departments that and agencies that we deal with. and and I honestly gotta tell you, that rings true when we're talking to the Department of Energy, Department of Commerce, the United States Trade Reps Office, the National Security Council, anybody that we're dealing with, they know what they're supposed to be doing in that regard. It's actually pretty refreshing. <laughs>
1: Um, what's also refreshing, some people would say, is you know ra- rather than just um, you know you know uh, taking information and, and not you know really delving into it and doing an investigation or some kind of a review. That's exactly what President Biden, and this administration, did. They did a critical supply chain review, and that resulted in a number of recommendations. Um, did, are you familiar with the recommendations that were made, uh, President Conway? And you know how does that weigh into the American worker, especially those USW American workers in manufacturing?
0: Yeah. Look, the recommendations were were pretty well straightforward. There's there's nothing shocking that comes out of that. They they said, you know, we're going to prioritize our own materials. We're going to have a supply chain that that um, has its own response team and and that we're going to be able to respond not just to COVID, but but the other supplies that America is going to need. Um, you know, work with companies to rebuild semiconductors and the chips, so that we don't find ourselves with this ripple where where the auto industry and every other major industry is shut down. The Department of Defense has a big need for rare earths, and we're going to invest in the. Um, in the mining of those elements and the processing outside of China, who has sort of a stranglehold on those things, and and they're working to ad- address critical cyber vulnerabilities. And you improve the nation's cybersecurity. You do that through investing in fiber optics, in in good um, a good broadband. There's a lot of broadband money in here, which will sort of Energize the, com- the country and put a lot of communities who don't have that on the board. So the recommendations that came out of, of just that one undertaking were significant. And, and so the country needs a lot, of, a lot of things, both in the electrical vehicles and, and, the, and the ability to mine and bring the materials forward. We're going to need a lot of copper. We're going to need a lot of lithium. We're going to need a lot of nickel. We're going to need a lot of things. And if you don't have your own internal supply chain and you're reliant on other nations to supply those really important and, and kind of fragile industries and help them get started. So I, I think that's exactly what he's talking about. Um, you know, the Defense Production Act, enhancing that, um, the Department of Health and Human Services for critical uh, medicines so that we're not relying on other countries to produce our medicines for us. Um, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and they made a lot of serious recommendations and now they're carrying them out.
1: You know, uh, one of the executive orders that the president um, issued and you and I touched upon earlier in this um, hour, President Conway, was um, wherever possible, the government would be spending taxpayer money on American-made products. I have a question. You said President Biden gets it. Clearly, this is a no-brainer. This helps job creation. It helps st- stimulate the economy. Uh, it helps increase patriotism and truly does put America first, which the last administration you know, liked to say, but they didn't do much about. Why, whether Democrat or Republican, Wouldn't any president do something like this because it's just a win, win, win. I mean, politically, economically, uh, the list goes on because you said President Biden gets it. Clearly, this alone shows that.
0: Look, I think when you gotta try and evaluate why certain politicians resist this sort of thing, you know, there's an old adage, you just follow the money. And so our campaign finance system has a lot to do with how people think about these kind of things. And if and if you've got companies and other organizations who are flowing tremendous amounts of money into campaign coffers, then maybe you sort of resist a tax on them, a little more tax. Or or if very rich people are sponsoring your campaign and they don't like these sort of things then you know that's what motivates most people and and unfortunately i think you see that from time to time and we're certainly going to see that as these two bills make their way through um there'll be a lot of resistance on the republican side i think you know we'll get we'll get some votes there but on on the on the hard infrastructure bill but on the other one i don't think you're going to see that you you're not going to get support out of that party and it's unfortunate because these are things that the country needs to move forward um and and how they resist it is beyond me so you know hopefully voters would wise up and begin to think about well well why would you vote against pre-k child care education for pre-k kids what 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 would what would motivate you to not spend some money on that? And
1: it's, um,
0: look, people ought to stand and have to answer that question at election time.
1: Absolutely. President Conway, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're very busy and I really am honored and flattered you took the time out of your schedule to be on the Leslie Marshall Show. President Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, 1.2 million members and retirees strong here, Canada and the Caribbean. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers. Check out the website, USW.org. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come on the only true democracy in talk.